0: Murder and mayhem in Jefferson County, Missouri, the Frisco Hill Murders, Marsden and Hensley, eighteen eighty-three. Ten-year-old Lewis Glass was outside about an hour before noon at his home in Antonia, Missouri, when he saw a wagon being pulled along the road by a horse with no driver. It was August thirtieth, eighteen eighty-three, and runaway horses and buggies were not too uncommon. All it took was some sound or image to spook the horse and leave a rider running behind trying to catch up. The boy hurried out to the road to block the horse's path and noticed the wagon was splattered with blood. That's when he saw the bullet-riddled body of a man thrown backward into the cart, his feet tangled under a bar which kept him from being thrown out. There's someone dead in here, Lewis shouted. At that point, the man groaned. "'Take me out,' he croaked, before losing consciousness again. A few of the nearby neighbors came rushing to help and recognized the wounded man as Alan Hensley. As they picked him up to carry him into the closest residence, he regained his senses long enough to say, "'Mac is lying dead over there. Go and get him.'" Welcome to another episode of Murder and Mayhem in Jefferson County, Missouri. I am your host, Mindy Hudson, genealogist at the Jefferson County Library. Each week we bring you stories of murder and tales of interesting pioneers from the county's 200-year history. Jefferson County lies about 25 miles south of St. Louis, Missouri, Its rocky hills and wooded terrain bountifully watered by two smaller rivers within its boundaries and the mighty Mississippi River to the east make it a haven for immigrants of varying ancestral nationalities. It was also a hotbed of conflict during the Civil War as ideological opinions often clashed between families and neighbors. In addition, The mood for vigilante justice continued to grow throughout the years following the war. Jefferson County tended to be notorious for hanging horse thieves, but giving murderers light sentences or letting them off altogether. This was the climate that prevailed at the time of the Marsden-Hensley murders of 1883. The story of the Frisco Hill murders was pieced together using the databases and special collections available at the library. In addition to newspaper articles, census records, and coroner's inquests, some details were gleaned from the book, The Mac Marsden Murder Mystery, Vigilantism or Justice, written by Joe Johnston, a descendant of many of the families involved. Matthew and Mary Marsden came from a mining background in England. When they arrived in America, they created a mining operation in Galena, Illinois. Then in 1840, they crossed over to Franklin County, Missouri for a time. They eventually settled in Sandy Valley in Jefferson County. Their sons George, Samuel, and Richard established their homes in this county. Sam married Mary Johnston, and they had four children before she died of cholera in 1866. Although John Morse of Morse Mill was responsible for the building of the earliest improved roads, including LeMay Ferry Road in Jefferson County, it is believed Samuel Marsden constructed the covered bridge at Sandy Creek on the old May Ferry Road. This is one of only four covered bridges, which still remain in Missouri. Samuel's son, Matthew, called Mac, married Emma Jean Hensley, whose parents were founding members of Sandy Baptist Church, one of the oldest churches in the county. Emma had been married to Jephthah Kite, who later divorced her. The scandal put an emotional distance between her and her deeply religious parents. Emma also had a brother named Alan, who wouldn't conform to their parents' high moral standards. They eventually kicked him out of the house and refused to come to his aid when he got into trouble, leading Alan and another sister, Lydia, to move in with their sister, Emma, and her husband, Mac Marsden. Mac's uncle, Richard Marsden, a well-respected man, helped set Mac up in a trading livestock. Unfortunately, when neighbors began noticing their livestock was disappearing, suspicion fell on Mac and his unsavory brother-in-law, Allan Hensley. Mac's other uncle, George, was not considered as quote, respectable end quote, as his brothers Sam and Richard. He had various children, all illegitimate. Among them were brothers Allan and John Marsden. All these tangled alliances come into play within the story of the murders of Mac Marsden and Alan Hensley. Over time, Mack joined forces along with cousins John and Alan Marsden and brother-in-law Alan Hensley in a partnership with Tommy Moss. They operated a hog theft ring in and around the Jefferson County area. John and Tommy would steal the animals, and Mac and Alan Hensley would take them into St. Louis to sell. It was bad enough that the animals were coming up missing, and it seemed everyone knew who was involved, but no one dared to do anything about it. The few who tried paid dearly. It began with the burning of an unoccupied cabin, which belonged to J.T. Moss, a cousin of Tommy Moss. It was obvious the fire was arson, but was meant as a message to warn the Mosses to keep their mouths shut about Tommy's illegal activities. Then, in November 1881, the home of Anson Vale burned, and his body was found inside. Vale was a mysterious but wealthy man who was known as a sort of loan shark. Mack Marsden had been seen leaving Vale's house not long before the fire was discovered. He admitted to having been there, but claimed he had only gone to repay a loan. Since the evidence that he was involved in that arson and murder was only circumstantial, nothing came of it. Not long afterwards, another more significant murder pointed to the Marsden-Hensley involvement, that of Joseph Yerger. Joseph and Anton Yerker were founding fathers of the town of Antonia, also called Bulltown. Joseph owned and ran a store, and Anton served as a judge. Shortly before his murder, Vale bought lumber from Joseph Yerker who gave him two patched bills in change. Not long after the Vale fire. Marsden came into the store and bought some items using those same patched bills for payment. When Yurker recognized the bills, he confronted Mac about it and threatened to report it to the authorities. Mac knew he was already under suspicion, having been seen at Vale's house right before the murder and fire. Although he could have received that money any number of ways, it did put him in a precarious position. It was March 1882, late at night, when Joseph Yerger's family awoke to the roar of flames. Their house, business, and barn were burning. As the family and neighbors rushed to extinguish the flames, someone hiding outside in the dark shot Yerger. The pellets pierced his side, his thigh, and his heart. The fire was meant to kill the whole family, but somehow they'd escaped. However, the perpetrator stayed behind and made certain his victim didn't escape altogether. Joseph's wife and nephew managed to escape unharmed, but Joseph died from his wounds. That same week, Leander Hensley, the widowed father-in-law of Mac Marsden, was out working in his fields when his own home was set ablaze. Although no one was killed, the man lost everything. While the other fires and the murder of Vale may have slid by unnoticed, these last two involved prominent and well-respected families. What was going on? To make matters worse, while the families and friends of these victims were desperate for answers, Sheriff Tom Jones was distracted by an affair he was having with a young woman named Minerva Meyer, who had recently come to live in his home to help his wife when their children fell ill. By the time she moved back to St. Louis, the affair had been discovered, and Jones abandoned his wife, children, and his responsibilities as sheriff and left with his mistress. He was replaced by John Weaver, who had to quickly become familiar with the tangle of crimes, arsons, and murders that were plaguing the county. In the spring of 1883, Tommy Moss, who was Mac's cousin and co-conspirator, was confronted by his older half-brother, Claiborne T. Moss, who believed Mac was leading his younger brother down a dangerous path. Although he believed it was John Marsden who was the one responsible for all the arsons and murders that were going on, he warned Tommy to steer clear of the Marsdens. He swore that he would put an end to the hog-stealing gang and would even testify to all that he knew about it. Of course, the result was another fire. This time, it was Claiborne's blacksmith shop that burned to the ground. It seemed that everyone knew that there were Marsdens, Hensleys, and Mosses involved in one way or another in the thefts, arsons, and murders, but either no one knew for sure which ones were involved, or the message that anyone who talked would lose property or even their lives prevented the sheriff from arresting anyone. Some claimed Mac Marsden was the one responsible for it all, while others insisted it was his hot-headed cousin, John Marsden. After the burning of Claiborne Moss's shop failed to produce an arrest, the local citizens had grown tired of waiting for the law to clean up the mess. Something drastic needed to be done. In April 1883, more than 130 men gathered at Hillsboro, Missouri and formed the Jefferson County Mutual Protective Society, which was basically a vigilante committee. What the law couldn't or wouldn't control, these determined men decided to do themselves. Not long afterwards, William Plass lost 11 hogs to theft. When Mac Marsden and Alan Hensley were identified as the sellers who had taken them to market, Sheriff Weaver thought he finally had some solid evidence to break up the theft ring. He suspected that John Marsden and Tommy Moss were stealing the hogs, then trading them off to Mac Marsden and Alan Hensley, who took them to sell at market in St. Louis. Mac, Allen, and John were arrested and brought in for questioning. Mac claimed that the only reason he had sold the hogs was because he feared his cousin, John Marsden, and all those fires had been set by John to scare him into continuing his part in the ring. However, John Marsden claimed that it was Mac who was the leader of the gang, and would even testify to that in court. When Mack rode into DeSoto in April, his father Samuel, uncle Richard Marsden, and brother Buzz Marsden accompanied him to ensure his safety. In the court of public opinion, Mack had already been tried and convicted of all the chaos that had afflicted the county the past three or four years. Residents were tired of living in terror of the next atrocity. The air fairly crackled with anticipation as a group of men from the Mutual Protection Society gathered, guns ready to mete out justice. There was even a St. Louis Globe-Democrat reporter waiting with fingers itching for the exciting story to come, sure that the vigilantes would overpower and lynch back. However, as the hours ticked away, the suspects had not emerged from the preliminary examination. Desperate to get the scoop on what would certainly come, the reporter fabricated a wild tale of how the vigilantes hid in the bushes and leveled, quote, five double-barreled shotguns on Marsden, end ending with Mac hanging ten feet in the air. The story was even picked up the next morning by newspapers as far away as California. Trouble was that the actual events played out differently. On the trip home, the Marstons realized they were being followed by a dangerous crowd. They kicked up the pace of their horses, but more vigilantes joined the group as they passed through the small town of Victoria beside the railroad tracks. It seemed there would be no way to outrun the mob until they reached the Sandy Creek Bridge, which offered some protection by its narrowed opening. As they reached the other side, Mac along with the family accompanying him, pulled up short on the road. They leveled their shotguns around to await the pursuers as they emerged from the narrow bridge. Only a couple of men on horseback could pass through the bridge at a time, giving the Marsden's plenty of advantage. When two particularly brave men tried to pass, Max sent warning shots over their heads, which convinced the whole posse— They were not willing to die for the cause and abandoned their chase. When the sheriff learned of the lynch mob attempt, he secreted John Marsden out of Jefferson County during the night and took him to St. Louis Jail for protection. When the Anson Vale murder case went to trial, there was not sufficient evidence to determine that Mack had murdered Vale, and he was acquitted. John Marsden then realized that his own life was in jeopardy from the threat of Mac's revenge. Either that, or he would be accused of the assassinations of Vail and Yerger. He decided to get rid of Mac and Alan himself. A few months passed, and by the end of the summer, it seemed things had returned to normal. Mac Marsden and Alan Hidsley were on their way home from St. Louis when they topped Frisco Hill, northeast of Antonia. Suddenly, two men jumped out of the brush to their left. Mac begged them not to shoot, but it was no use. Mac was blown out of the buggy, and Alan slumped over the side as the frightened animal bolted. Alan had buckshot scattered from his neck down to his hips, when Lewis Glass stopped the runaway buggy and discovered the dying man, a group of citizens headed out toward Frisco Hill to determine whether Mac was dead or alive. In the meantime, mail carrier William Fine was bringing mail from Carondelet along the Rock Road headed toward Bulltown. He noticed something in the road at the high point of Frisco Hill. Driving his buggy as close as possible, he realized it was a body, shot to pieces. Hurrying to the nearest house, that of Mr. Ming, he called for the man to come guard the body while he went ahead to Bulltown to get help. There was some discussion as to the identity of the dead man. Ming said he thought it was Alan Hensley, but Fine insisted it was Mac Marsden's body. He said he had been told by the people at Maxville Post Office that Mac was ahead of him on the road, and although the face was blown away, he recognized the man as Mac Marsden. Word reached Mac's elderly father Sam, who came to the scene. He told those gathered to take his son's body in to Bulltown. The coroner later chided him for moving the body before it could be examined. But the grieving father replied, there's no use in that. If they did find who did it, the Hillsboro Click would let him go free. Although fatally wounded, Allen Hensley was able to speak. Justice of the Peace, G.W. Edinger later testified that he asked Hensley who shot them. Allen replied it was John Marsden, Tommy Moss, and Jimmy Moss. There was one problem. John Marsden had a rock-solid alibi. He and his crew were seen at Strickland's Saloon in DeSoto, 23 miles away around the time of the shooting. Or at least it seemed that way. Could they have pulled off an elaborate ruse to fool everyone? The whole story of the killing of Mac Marsden is so complicated that it is impossible to answer for certain who really was responsible for any of the crimes committed in those early years of 1880. Was Mac really the cold-blooded arsonist and killer that so many believed him to be? Or was it his undisciplined cousins who really held the reins of power? It seems obvious he was no angel but the evidence against him seems shaky at best. In his book, The MacMarston Marsden Murder Mystery, Vigilantism or Justice, Joe Johnston, a relative of many of the key players, does an excellent job untangling the various theories and facts. In the end, no one ever really answered for the murders of Anton Vale, Joseph Yerker, MacMarston, Marsden, or Alan Hensley. Although John Marsden did get convicted of grand larceny, he served only a few months and was pardoned by Governor Crittenden. His brother Allen, Tommy and Jimmy Moss, and their families slipped quietly out of town. But with the murder of Mac Marsden and the cleaning out of the George Marsden branch of the family tree, Things settled down in the county and there was no further call for the services of the Mutual Protection Society. The remaining Marsdens, Mosses, and Hensleys were quiet, respectable citizens. Many of their descendants still live in Jefferson County. We hope that you have enjoyed this episode of the Frisco Hill Murders brought to you by the Jefferson County Library Genealogy Department located at 5680 State Road, PP, High Ridge, Missouri. For more information, call 636-677-8186 or email Hudson at jeffcolibe.org. Visit our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash jclgenealogy backslash to see photographs and other information related to this and other episodes. Join us next Tuesday at 5 o'clock p.m. as we visit the Roaring Twenties with the story of moonshine and mobsters, The Biltmore Club. Please share this and other episodes of Murder and Mayhem in Jefferson County, Missouri.